Good morning, Front Range. How's everybody doing? Man, you guys, that sounded like two of you. How's everybody doing? Awesome. Way to go. So glad to be with you. My name's Darius. Uh, I've gotten to be here with you guys a few times now. We were praying this morning, and Pastor Jeff uh, said, you know, dear, and I've known Jeff for a long time. He said, Darius, you, you kind of started as a guest. Uh, I've known Jeff and Ernest for a long time. He started as a guest, and now he's a friend. So I'm just happy to be a friend, a front range. How about that? Amen? Come on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Um, a couple things. One, uh, my kids, I've, I've been married 17 years, and my wife and I have four beautiful kids, and they all, now we have uh, two in high school and two in middle school, so they're right there kind of in that camp range, uh, youth camp range, and youth camp was a blessing in my life, and it's a blessing in their lives, and so we want to sponsor uh, a kid to go to camp here at Front Range as well. Uh, I've thought about like sending my kids to Front Range Camp, uh, but they already have camps that they're going to. But we want to sponsor a kid for Front Range, and so uh, I'll connect with you, Jeff, to to make sure that that happens. Uh, I was super encouraged. What's your name? Can I embarrass you really quickly? Cameron, Cameron how old are you? You're almost twelve. Are you going to camp? If she wants to go to camp, we'll sponsor her. Yeah, I was super encouraged by your worship during worship this morning. I mean, you were going after Jesus, and so you just keep doing that. Amen? God's going to meet you in that worship. Yeah, we'd love to do that. Um, so we got a lot, of, a lot of road to travel today and a short time to get there, so I'm going to jump right in. Can I pray for us? Amen. Father, thank you for your goodness. And church, I just want to invite you to take a few deep breaths in to receive the blessing of God, the mere fact that you're breathing breath right now represents the blessing of God. You're on this side of heaven. You've got family to enjoy, friends that love you, got a job to go to, or you're retired, either way got clothes to to put on and food to eat. Just think on the goodness of God in your life. I just want you to take in God's blessing this morning. Things aren't perfect, but man, you're right where God wants you to be. You are loved, you are seen, and you are known. And so we receive in that posture today. Father, thank you for who you are and all the amazing things that you've done and all the amazing things that you're doing right here in Front Range, in this community, in our state, in our world. God, we just counted a privilege to be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we ask today, Spirit of God, that you would meet us in this beautiful church, that you would meet us, that you would speak to our hearts, and that you would cause us to grow from your word today as we feast and dine in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as I was preparing for this message over the last couple of weeks, I came across this really cool story that, that connects and aligns, and I want to I share this with you. Uh, almost 130 years ago, in 1893, the, world, the, the famous world's Columbian Exposition was held in Chicago, 
and an astronomical number of people attended this event, um, specifically uh, in those, those pre-automobile days, 21 million people attended this event and visited the exhibits. America, and particularly Chicago, any Chicagoans, uh, Chicagoans, Chicagoans, how do you say that? Anybody in the house from Chicago? No? First service, it was like this unusually large amount of people from Chicago. I was like, what do you know? And so particularly Chicago, had, which had risen Phoenix-like from the great fire of 1873, was showing off to the rest of the world, and the show was good. Among the features of the Columbian Exposition was the World Parliament of Religions, in which, represent, in which representatives of the world's religions met to share their best points and perhaps come up with a new world religion. Well, D.L. Moody, a great American evangelist, saw this as a great chance for evangelism. So Moody commissioned evangelists and assigned them to preaching posts all throughout the city of Chicago. He used churches and rented theaters, and he even rented a circus tent to preach the word. Moody's friends, although wanted him to attack the Parliament of Religions, but he refused, and I want you to hear why he refused. He refused saying that I'm going to make Jesus Christ so attractive that men and women will turn to him. Isn't that all of our hearts? D.L. Moody knew that preaching Christ, preeminent, the peerless, the supreme, all-sufficient Christ, clearly presented, would do the job. And indeed it did. The Chicago campaign of 1893 is considered to be the greatest evangelical evangelistic work of Moody's celebrated life, and thousands came to Christ. Wow. Moody's approach was actually nothing new, though, but rather a time-honored approach that goes all the way back to the apostolic approach, apostolic approach that the church, and especially Evident in this section of Colossians that we'll be studying this morning. It presented Christ as the one who has first place. Somebody say first place. Who has first place in creation and in the church. The Gnostics, as Pastor Jeff talked about last week, had their own version of the parliament religions because they considered Jesus to be only one of thousands of emanations from the, from the great unseen God. According to them, Christ was not the way, the truth, and the life, as is read in John 14 and 6, but only the beginning rung in the ladder to the true God. But the apostolic church, front range, believed otherwise. Here's what the apostolic church in the New Testament believe. They believe, to use a cliche, that either he is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. This is what Paul taught so positively and beautifully in the passages of Scripture that we're going to read this morning 
chapter 1 of Colossians, verses 15 through 20. And the most closely reasoned presentation of the supremacy of Christ anywhere in the Bible is found in these passages. It's why our title this morning is First Place, The Supremacy of Christ. Amen? See, as we, as we dive into these verses of Scripture, Pastor Jeff and I were talking during the break, and, and each verse is power-packed. And you can literally, you could literally teach a sermon series on each verse of, 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 of Scripture that we're going to read in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 13, 15 through 23. And as we pick up where Jeff left off last week from the gospel of Formula One. I'm partially kidding. We're going to continue in our series studying through Colossians. As I've shared, you know, one of the ways that I love teaching the Word of God is, is expositorily. So we're going to go line by line, verse by verse, and understanding what Paul is getting at and uncovering God's truth. And I really believe that there's, there's two primary themes that Paul's getting at in this swath of, of verses of Scripture. Number one is, as is titled, the message is titled, he's getting at the supremacy of Christ. The supremacy of Christ. That Christ is supreme in three primary ways. He's supreme in eternity. He's supreme in creation. And then lastly, he's supreme in the church. And then the second point, which is so critically important for us, that Paul is making in the latter portion of the verse, is that the hope of the gospel rests in the reconciling work of Jesus on the cross. And so let's, let's dive in to chapter 1, verse 15, and it reads this way, the supremacy, Christ is supreme over eternity. Verse 15 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God, of a God that I can't see. Christ incarnate. God in his infinite mercy, in his, in his endless grace, sent his only begotten son to be the, the visible depiction of his invisible self. Jesus, I, I, love, I love how one of the concordances read that Jesus is literally the exegesis of God. Wow. If any of you study the Bible, you've heard that term. I learned that term in seminary years and years and years ago. That word exegesis just simply means interpretation. Jesus is the interpretation of God. The Greek word translated image, the Greek word translated image is icon, which we derive our English word icon. This simply means image or representation. And sometimes, 
This word is referred to, is, is, is defined as picture. As picture. Anybody grow up, anybody really love the selfie craze? Y'all are like, no. In fact, I'm tired of seeing people's selfies. In fact, I've unfollowed people because they post too many selfies. And let the church say amen. All of y'all are guilty. But I was explaining this dynamic to my 15-year-old daughter at home. And, you know, when I was explaining this scripture, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. I said, Chelsea, think of, think of Jesus as God's selfie. She's like, I got it, Dad. I got it. All you had to say. Don't go to Chelsea's Instagram page. <laughs> Lots of selfies. Okay? But Jesus is like God's selfie. He is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. And even better, he reflects the image, both the image and reveals the character of God. And so if you want to know the character of God, look at the life of Jesus. What is God like? What's his character like? What's his nature like? Study the life of Jesus. Point 1A, Christ is, so not only is Christ supreme in eternity, Christ is supreme in creation. The B part of verse 15 reads this way, he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Someone say supreme. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him, and everything was created for him. I want you to get that. Wrap your mind around that reality. Everything in all of creation, in its vastness, in its beauty, everything was created in him, and everything was created for him. He, is, he existed before anything else, and he holds creation together. I want you to hear this, church. Christ is the goal of all creation, and all creation is moving toward him and for him. You see, if you look at this, this, this device that I'm holding, this Apple device, who gets creation cred for the Apple device? Come on, you can say it. It's not, it's, 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 it's who? Steve, it, I'll give you, there you go. Good job, good job. Y'all were like, Steve Jobs. It was like, it's not, a, it's not a trick question, church. Steve Jobs, he gets creation cred for the Apple device. See, God gets, Jesus gets, God gets, Jesus gets creation cred for all of creation. It's amazing. See, and lastly, Christ is supreme in the church. You see, any good pastor, any good leader in the church, any good elder in the church, any good teacher in the church understands that the church isn't about Pastor Ernest's vision. 
The church isn't about Pastor Jeff's vision. It's not about Pastor Johnny's vision. The church is about the vision that Jesus laid out over 2,000 years ago. Amen? That's what Pastor Ernest and Pastor Jeff and Pastor Johnny and every teaching pastor here on staff, that's what we're following, right? Jesus is the head of the church. We're his body. So we get to do the fun part. We get to follow the lead of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we get to respond in obedience to the things that he's telling us to do because he is the head of the church. And then the last, I want to move on to my second, and I think one of the most important points. And in the last sentence of verse 18, if, if you're not careful, you'll miss it. But again, it is the most important sentence, one of the most important sentences in all of this, these verses. It says this, so he is what? First in everything. So he is first in everything. Wow, let's park here for a moment. So he. So he is second. So he's like 1A. So he's like an afterthought. No, so he, God, Jesus, the Trinity, is first in everything. See, this message shows up all throughout Scripture. The narrative of the Bible depicts the heart of a father longing to be near and known by his children. And so God invites us, through his son Jesus, to make him first. You know, the, you remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? After Abraham and Sarah had just, they prayed to God, they asked God for this son, and they, then they got the son, Isaac, and then what did God say do? Hey, go sacrifice. Go sacrifice him. God wasn't wanting him to sacrifice his son. God knew that there was a ram in the thicket, that there was a ram in the bush. What was God doing? What was God saying? What was God inviting Abraham into? An opportunity to make him first. To say, hey, I know I've given you this blessing, but I want you to prioritize this blessing in the right manner. What does Matthew 6.33 say? Jesus said these words, seek ye what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything we desire will be added to us. Seek first God's kingdom. And his righteousness. So what does this mean to us? That in everything, somebody scream everything. everything. That in everything, he might be preeminent. Everything extends his firstness to as wide as a scope as conceivable and beyond. And I just, I want you to, you know, oftentimes when we're in church and we're hearing a message preached and it's a good message, I hope, you know, it's, 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 we get, we get this like, okay, this is for this person. And then this, this one is for that person. Ooh, good point, pastor. That's, that's like, that's like for my husband. I wish he was here. Goodness. And that's for my wife, man. Say that again, brother. <laughs> no, I want you to like zone in for you. Okay. 
This moment is for you. I want you to take survey. I want you to survey the landscape of your life. I want you to survey the landscape of your thought life. And I want you to I want you to ask yourself this question. Does Christ have first position? Does he have first position? And think about it in this context. Does he have first position in your families? The way you lead your family? The way you think about your family? The way you treat your family? Kids, spouse, siblings? Does it reflect the nature and the character of Christ? What about your marriage? Or your dating relationships? Your singlehood? What about your profession, your mission, or your ministry? You're like, yeah, it's about Jesus. Nah, but <laughs> ministry can, is probably some of the space that's full of ego and full of flesh. It can be. What about your athletics, matters of intellect, your time? Conversations, pleasures, your eating. How about your eating? What you watch. What you create. The music you listen to. Is God getting sloppy seconds? Is, is, is it like, are, are we treating Jesus being first like kind of yeah but? Because we can justify everything that we do, right? The thoughts we think when our boss is walking out of the door and we're wanting to like chuck something at the back of their head because they've just said something really stupid again. <laughs> Y'all are laughing because it's like yes and amen. <laughs> I, want, I want that to marinate in your hearts because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite us to do something in about three minutes. And the last point I think is the most important because, man, this is the hope of the gospel. Number three, it just says this, the hope of the gospel rests in the reconciling work of Jesus on the cross. Verse 19 picks up, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, to be the visible manifestation of of the invisible God. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. Somebody say, I'm reconciled to Christ. Come on, that's personal. I, Darius, Renard Wise II, don't laugh at my middle name, is reconciled to Christ. And he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. Why does the world look like it does, Darius? He's made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. By means of Christ's blood on the cross. And I want you to hear this. 
Verse 21, this includes you who were once far away from God. Can we just like park right there for a moment? Because sometimes I think we forget. We get like selective amnesia in the church. We totally do. Like we hear someone like living in sin and we're like, we like, oh, oh, how dare they? That's just disgusting. Did you, like, do you see them like living in sin? Did you hear what they said? Like, oh, wait a minute, time out, 22nd. Paul, I love how Paul calls us back. This includes you. You being me, you being quite literally you, who were once far away from God. And he, and he, and he adds emphasis. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. That's a sobering reality. And it should cause us to never forget. Never forget from whence you've come. When we have the tendency to look at our kids and get judgmental or look at our neighbors and get judgmental, never forget. Man, I was once in darkness. But man, verse 22 Yet now, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. That's where we shout hallelujah. And thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and for your grace that has set me free. And as a result... He has brought you into his own presence. You get to stand in the presence of the creator of everything. Because everything was made through him and everything was made for him. So you, us, we, who have said yes to Jesus, get to stand in the presence of an almighty, an all-wise, an all-powerful God. Holy moly. And even better, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. I can like burst. You're holy and you're blameless because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. What does holy mean? It simply means you're set apart. God sees you, God knows you, God loves you endlessly, endlessly. And so with this reality, with this truth, verse 23 says, so stand, stand firmly in the truth. Paul's 
Paul, Paul's like, hey, church, God's supreme over all. The application points are on the screen. He's supreme over all, okay? He's in total control. He gets creation cred for everything. He's supreme over all. And guess what else? He's reconciled you. He's brought you near to himself through Christ's death on the cross. Amen. And then it gets even better. And then he like starts admonishing us. Hey, because of those things, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put them first. Put them first. Put them first. Not only has he reconciled you, but you stand before him. I don't care what the world tells you. I don't care what your inner thoughts tell you. I'm nothing. I'm trash. That thought that I thought was horrible. The action, how I treated my mom was so bad. How I talked to my spouse was, was, was just horrible. Yes, but if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Amen? And then he says, Paul says, so stand firmly. Firmly. This is a little shaky, okay? This platform, this part, a little shaky. If you're watching online, you can't see this, but it's, it's made of wood, and if, if I, I mean, I'm, I'm pushing 200, okay? <laughs> if I was to stand on that, I'd be a little scared. But this, this is like... This is concrete, man. Paul's saying, stand firmly on the reality that we just talked about. That you're reconciled to him. That you are seen, known, and loved by the creator of the universe. He's got a purpose and plan for your life. Stand firmly in that truth. Here's what I want you to do throughout the week. Here's my challenge to you front range, throughout the week, I want to challenge you to practice. Keyword, practice. You're not going to get this right. In fact, you're going to fail a lot. That's the point. The point of practice is growth. It's actually failure. Failure helps us move towards success. I want you to practice putting God first, not just I pray in the morning. That's putting God first. Great. But I want you to practice putting God first in every one of your meetings that you have. Every Zoom call. Father, I invite you into this call. I pray that you would lead it and guide it. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being present. Give me wisdom to lead effectively today. Give me wisdom to be the light of Jesus in every environment that I go in. Lord, before I engage in this conversation, this really tough conversation with my spouse or with my boss or with my children, help me, Holy Spirit. Before you work out, God, thank you for the breath in my body. Thank you for the activity of my, of my limbs and my joints and my muscles. God, I invite you into this workout. I'm not doing it under the glory of man or to look shredded. I'm, I'm doing it because... I'm doing it under the glory of you. And I'm living for an audience of one. I want you to practice inviting God into every area of your life this week. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much for my friends. Thanks for the ways you're working in their lives. I can see it. I can feel it. 
And by the conversations I had in between services, I know it. So my prayer today is that you would empower us by your spirit and by your grace this week to put you first. Very simple. To put you first, to remember that we are reconciled to you, that we are loved, known, and seen by you, and to stand firmly on the foundation of your truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.